Welcome in to OutKick the Show. Uh, I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Wednesdays. Uh, Reminder, we've got the fade with me and Kelly Stewart. It's going to be up a little bit later this afternoon. We're going to tape it here momentarily as soon as I'm finished with this show. Um, And... Tomorrow, I will do OutKick the show, and then I am off to Australia for the next several weeks through the holiday. So just FYI, file that away. Uh, I am going to be gone uh, for quite some time, Um, and uh, I can't wait. Uh, But we've got a lot to dive into before we get to that, Uh, and I appreciate all of you for hanging out with us. Let's start here with... Hunter Biden making a decision this morning to show up on Capitol Hill and uh, in the process decide that he was uh, going to say, oh, it's my addiction. Oh, it's all the unfair treatment that I've gotten. He skips his deposition, says woe is me, and tries to make himself look like the victim. Uh, What we have now is a political versus a legal Uh, battle. And Hunter Biden should be held in contempt of Congress for refusing to testify. Donald Trump Jr. spent a lot of time uh, being held uh, in front of congressional committees answering questions. Uh, And now Hunter Biden is uh, is being asked to do the same and he's skipping it. Uh, And so I think there should be consequences there. But that actually started the day I think there's way more. And by the way, there are a couple of quotes that were amazing, but I think it's important to recognize what Hunter Biden is doing. Remember initially when he ran for president, Joe Biden said he had absolutely nothing to do with any of Hunter Biden's business engagements. Remember Hunter Biden said that his son made no money from China. Those have both been proven to be lies. Now he's saying that Hunter Biden is, that his father was not financially involved in his business. Because we know he was making telephone calls to business partners. We know he was meeting with Hunter's business partners. All of that has been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we know, based on Hunter's own comments, that there was money being withheld and or shared for Joe Biden. And there has been evidence of some of that. But now Joe Biden is trying to create a line between he and Hunter Biden and argue that there was no financial relationship between Hunter Biden's business and Joe Biden's ability to profit. Uh, that, we all know, uh, has been called into question massively. But don't mistake what's going on here. They keep adjusting where they exactly uh, are going to draw the line on what Joe Biden did or did not do associated with Hunter Biden's business. But I love this statement. I'm proud of my efforts to forge global business relationships. Stop. Who wrote that for Hunter? I'm proud of my efforts to forge global business relationships. That's like saying you're helping human rights by paying hookers uh, as hundreds of thousands of dollars as Hunter Biden did uh, because you believe in female empowerment to such an extent. I mean, come on. I'm proud of my efforts to forge global business relationships. Dude, you're a crackhead and they paid you money because your dad is famous and rich 
and they wanted you to do their bidding, which you did as a part of the Biden crime family. You weren't forging global business relationships. You were selling access to your family uh, and uh, using a lot of the money that you made to, to buy hookers and drugs and further fuel your crackhead domains. So that in and of itself is, is utterly ridiculous. Um, but there was major news here uh, outside of the Hunter Biden news that he started the day with. And that was that the Supreme Court is going to examine whether the Department of Justice has the ability to even charge Trump, Jack Smith, with two of the four charges that he's actually brought. That is, it appears that the Supreme Court is poised to knock out two of the four charges, a felony and a misdemeanor, that Jack Smith brought against Donald Trump that's scheduled to go to trial March 4th in Washington, D.C., relating to Jan 6th. And I talked about yesterday how the Supreme Court had the ability just based on its schedule, to really bump the Trump cases almost off the board. Now, they could throw them all out, right? And I think that's what they should do. The Supreme Court should look at these charges. They should say, this is ridiculous. These are not crimes. Uh, And the president has the power to act as he did. They already tried to remove him from office under the impeachment proceedings. That failed. That's what I think the Supreme Court would do if they were being 100% honest. And maybe they still are going to do that. But to me, the biggest takeaway here is that there's no way this March 4th trial date is happening. Uh, We're about to go through the holidays. We come back, it'll be right after uh, the new year. Nothing is going to happen there. It's going to take months to seat a jury in Washington, D.C. This ambitious March 4th trial date is impossible. I just I don't see any way based on what the Supreme Court is doing right now. And if you question me trying to analyze the calendar, if you question that, Jack Smith basically is acknowledging it by begging the Supreme Court to review all of these legal issues on an expedited basis so he can try to rush these cases through. I just I don't see any way it's happening. And I'm even more confident of that today than I was yesterday based on the review of uh, these charges. Now, I suppose it's possible that Hunter Biden, uh, sorry, that, uh, that, that Joe Biden's Department of Justice could decide, oh, we're only going to prosecute on two of these issues. Uh, maybe they could decide, hey, actually, we're going to try to go do the confidential documents trial down in South Florida first instead of this, uh, this case that's going on in Washington, D.C. They don't have as good of a jury, though, so I don't do, think they'll do that. Increasingly, I am starting to believe that there's not going to be any cases that are decided against Donald Trump before the election happens in November of next year. That is, based on the way that these legal machinations are playing out, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for there to be any resolution of them. Why does that matter? Well, Jack Smith is trying to rush this through because he wants to try to get a felony conviction to harm Donald Trump's chances of winning the 2024 election. That's the reality here. The party that claims they're so concerned about the sanctity of our democratic process is trying to put the chief political opposition of the sitting president, Donald Trump, in prison for 
the actual presidential campaign. I mean, that's what's going on. This is banana republic crazy level stuff. And if the Supreme Court really wanted to apply the law, they would just toss this. I think the best case scenario is everybody knows the allegations against Trump. If you think they're disqualifying for him holding elective office, then don't vote for him. If you think that they aren't and you analyze Trump v. Biden and decide that you think Trump would be the better choice, then go vote for Trump. I, I just, I don't see this as some massive issue that has to be resolved by the federal government and it requires us to break 240 years of past precedent. To me, this is a relatively easy decision. Let the voters decide. Let Joe Biden come out and say Donald Trump is Hitler and he's going to take away everybody's abortion rights and he's going to end democracy in America if he's elected. And if people believe it and we have fair and and honest elections, then Joe Biden has a chance to win. And also Joe Biden can say, hey, I've been a great steward of the economy. I've done incredible work, like all this stuff, right? If he's the nominee, which I still don't think he will be. And Trump can come out and say, I can do a better job and let the American public decide. But increasingly, it seems to me highly unlikely that there's any way March 4th trial date happens in Judge Chutkin's courtroom and that instead we move into the summer, maybe even the fall. And if I were betting right now, uh, I would drop, given where we are right now, I would drop to one on the how many cases will be decided before the 2024 presidential election. I would drop to 0.5. I think the over-under would have to be 0.5 at this point based on how these criminal uh, proceedings are uh, taking place. I think I would drop to 0.5 how many of these criminal trials are going to be completed before we get to the election in November of 2024. Before that, I was at one. Earlier this year, I was kind of wobbling right around one and a half. If I were setting the over-under on completed criminal trials against Donald Trump as I sit here to you talking on what's today December 13th I would set the over under at 0.5 and I would be inclined to potentially take the under right now I think there could be some juice on the under Uh, speaking of the under I don't have any unders but I got seven winners for you I'm going to talk about these so that's the serious stuff that's going on let me give you uh, my week 15 NFL picks This is my OutKick six-pack plus one. Uh, I do have an under. I'm on the under Thursday night. uh, Chargers, Raiders, under 34. I misspoke. Then I've got the Colts minus two and a half. I've got the Broncos at the Lions, the over 47 and a half. Uh, I'm going to take the Dolphins minus eight and a half against the Jets. The Patriots plus nine and a half against the Chiefs. Cowboys, Bills, over 50 and a half. And... I'm going to take Ravens at Jags, the over 42 and a half. And I want you to tap the veins, boys and girls, because that is my blood bank guarantee. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. By the way, we are 51 and 46 so far on the uh, OutKick six-pack in the NFL. 
under 500 in the college football picks. Those are up right now. I will share them. I will talk about them with Kelly. I will talk about them on tomorrow's show, the bowl games, in more earnest. But you guys know already, I told you to take Alabama plus of one and a half, Texas minus four uh, against Washington if you are concerned or fired up about the college football uh, playoff. Those are the two games that I've already picked. I gave that out some time ago. Uh, So that's where we are looking at the Supreme Court hearing and the the Hunter Biden case. And by the way, just to keep in mind where we are, what the Supreme Court is basically saying, potentially, is that these charges that were initially designed, uh, that they've been trying to get people on for uh, obstruction uh, of an official proceeding, it has a 20-year maximum sentence one of the four felonies, one of the misdemeanors as well. I'm reading from Politico. Um, But I think they're going to toss this out. At least 327 January 6th defendants have been charged so far. Uh, And the bigger issue here is this was initially designed to deal with cases of fraud in, uh, in in the wake of like the Enron universe. And the way that this is being applied right now is not, I don't believe, uh, constitutional as it currently stands. I didn't talk about it because I didn't care. And most of you didn't care. I put up a poll question. Were you paying attention to the NBA's in-season tournament? And I think 82% of you said you were not. It ended on Saturday. The Lakers won and evidently they've raised a banner and everybody is ridiculing them for raising a banner at Staples uh, Center for winning the in-season tournament. And and this is important, I think. Why did the NBA decide to do an in-season tournament? And why do so many of the boot-licking NBA media immediately claim that everything the NBA does is a huge success? These NBA media members are complete and total propagandists for the league. Doesn't matter what happens, they come out and they tell you, oh, this was amazing. You know what I did? I went and looked. I was like, how many people actually watch this? Because everybody I know is watching the NFL or watching college football. Nobody cares about a stupid in-game tournament. I was like, maybe I'm wrong. I asked you in that poll, most of you were not paying attention. Then I went and looked at the ratings. The ratings for the NBA in-season tournament were up 4% over last year's average ratings for NBA games. Let me repeat that. They were up 4%. The NBA spent tens of millions of dollars, maybe even over $100 million, hyping up how much this NBA in-season tournament mattered, and the ratings were up 4%, and it ended with everybody mocking the Lakers for actually caring about winning this championship and trying to raise a banner. Who cares? about a flipping in-season tournament. Now, I understand if you pay people more money, nobody watched, nobody cared, everybody in the media claiming to you that it's a success is a liar, and you should understand that they are propagandists, bootlickers of Adam Silver and the NBA. But I really kind of went back and I said, okay, like let's be reasonably intelligent about this. Why is there an NBA in-season tournament at all? Well, the reason is because nobody cares about the regular season in the NBA. And so Adam Silver is desperate, the commissioner of the NBA, to try to gin up interest 
So he comes up with this random in-season tournament and decides that there's going to be a championship and they're going to play it in Vegas. And by the way, they had to give away tickets. Nobody wanted to buy tickets. Why is this going on? It's a failure of NBA ratings that this was designed in the first place. And what actually ended up happening, and this is really important, ratings only went up 4%, basically the exact same rating that they got in the regular season anyway, which means nobody out there bought in outside of the people who were already watching the NBA already, which is, which is a big deal because the goal was let's expand the audience, let's create more value, let's create more brand uh, value. Why are they doing this? Because nobody's watching the regular season NBA. But look bigger picture here. The NBA is desperate because nobody's watching their product. The ratings have collapsed. You can go read about it at OutKick. The number of people that watch the NBA now compared to when Michael Jordan played with the Chicago Bulls is a pinprick. The NBA has lost like 70% of their audience since 1998. It's unheard of. Their rights are coming up, television rights. And ESPN and TNT, because both of their cable businesses are collapsing, can't afford to pay a substantial increase. This is important. The NBA is like, you're going to have to pay us triple what you pay us now because we're so successful. And ESPN and TNT are looking at the ratings and they're like, actually, way less people watch your product now than used to watch. We should be paying you less based on the amount of people that are actually watching. So Adam Silver's starting to panic, I think. And so he says, okay, we're going to create a brand new in-season tournament. It's going to be super popular. And we're going to sell it to either Amazon or Apple. We're going to get them bidding on this brand new in-season tournament because it's going to be super popular and everybody's going to have to watch it. And then the ratings come out. And it basically had the same viewership as the regular NBA, which is to say, not very many people at all cared. But this is what's going on. The NBA is trying to sell a bill of goods to ESPN, to TNT, to Apple, or to Amazon to get them to pay more money for a product that people are watching less. And so they created this in-season tournament. They're probably trying to sell it to Amazon or Apple and saying, look, you're going to get a brand new asset that everybody's going to care about, the in-season tournament. It's going to be so popular. And then if you actually have a functional brain and you look, you see, wait a minute, nobody cared. And that's even though LeBron James and the Lakers probably still the best draw for the NBA made the finals, 4% increase overall in viewership compared to the regular NBA ratings last year. 4%, nothing. Okay, now... This also ties in with another question, which if the NBA media wasn't filled with such bootlicking propagandists, somebody would be saying, wait a minute, why is Mark Cuban selling the Dallas Mavericks? And why is he selling the Dallas Mavericks for $500 million less than the Phoenix Suns sold for last year? Am I the only person asking this? The Phoenix Suns sold for $4 billion. The Dallas Mavericks are in a bigger media market and they have probably the best young star in Luka Doncic that anybody could hope for in the NBA right now. 
Why would the Mavericks sell for $500 million less in a big market with a star player who is young and under contract for years to come than the Phoenix Suns just did? And why would Mark Cuban sell? You guys know Mark Cuban has been jumping into my mentions for years now arguing that whenever I share NBA ratings data that I don't understand and the NBA is in an incredible place and the NBA is so popular and so unbelievably uh, fortunate for what their demos look like and how the future is going to be. Has anybody asked Mark Cuban why he decided to sell if all that's true? Why has Mark Cuban been jumping in my direct messages uh, sorry, in my uh, messages on Twitter where all of you can see it publicly and arguing that the NBA's future is so bright if he's deciding to jump off the NBA train and take way less than what the Phoenix Suns sold for last year. There's only two reasons really that I can think of. One, Mark Cuban thinks the NBA marketplace is peaked. He knows that the television rights deal is not going to be that good. He sees that cord cutting is going on. He sees that there are major issues with the NBA brand. And he's been lying to all of you publicly while privately he's going to go try to put all the money he can in his pocket. I think that's probably the most likely. That deep down, Mark Cuban actually agrees with me. He's looking at the data. He sees that he made a good profit. He thinks the best days of the NBA are past because he's taking less than peak value. Pigs get slaughtered, hogs get fat. And he's deciding to cash his money in. Why is anybody asking this? Mark Cuban's made a lot of money. If he really loved the NBA, why would he be selling out right before they're about to do a new media contract? Now, Mark Cuban, what would Mark Cuban say? Oh, he would spin it. He'd be like, I love the NBA's future. I just got such an incredible offer, I couldn't turn it down. Okay, well, if you love the NBA's future, then the offer would have to be more than the last franchise sold for to actually be an incredible offer, right? Well, he's like, well, I get to stay on and be president. So I basically, I get all the good stuff with none. No. Mark Cuban thinks that the NBA market has peaked. That's the reason why he sold. He's not an imbecile. Why isn't the media covering this story? Why isn't the bootlicking NBA propagandist media that tried to tell you that the in-season tournament was super successful? Why aren't they covering the actual ratings up 4%? And why, and nobody cares, and the Lakers are getting made fun of for raising a banner. And why aren't they covering Mark Cuban selling the Dallas Mavericks in a bigger market with a bigger star for $500 million less valuation of the franchise than the Phoenix Suns just got. Seems like a really big deal. Mark Cuban, directly to you, I'll ask you. You've been jumping in my mentions telling me that the NBA's future is unmatched for years now. Why did you suddenly just decide to jump out? I said one, he got such a good price. The other one, and this is probably being uncharitable, but it's the only other hypothesis I can come up with, The other one is that he's got some charge based on the way that he's run the Mavs, sexual harassment or otherwise, of which there have been ample uh, stories in the past. And this is a secret punishment that is being uh, undertaken 
by the NBA and they are forcing him to sell and don't want him to be a managing owner anymore. That's the only two things I can think of. And I don't think he would get to stay on and manage the team if that were the case. So the only thing I can think of is Mark Cuban, despite what he's saying publicly, recognized that the market has peaked. It's not like he's 85 and he's trying to put his financial house in order. He's 65. Only thing that makes sense is he thinks all the money has been made that's going to be made and he's tapping out. But these are questions that a reasonable, honest, intelligent media would be asking and you should be asking yourself, wait a minute, why am I only hearing this from Clay Travis? Why is nobody else asking these questions? Why is nobody else even talking about this? If the NBA's future was so bright, why is its most famous owner deciding to sell the team? And why are they so aggressively trying to tell you that an in-season tournament, which sports fans overwhelmingly didn't care about and that feels desperate at its inception because it's designed to try to wring out more value from a marketplace that doesn't have much or doesn't see much value for the NBA. Why isn't that all being talked about? Very important. All right, finally, uh, Bud Light. Dana White said, basically, you're not a Patriot if you don't drink Bud Light. Peyton Manning now is doing Bud Light ads. We talked about Travis Kelsey. Oh, I should mention Pfizer stock collapsing. Uh, Let me make sure that I jot that down to talk about that. So this is not finally. This is next to last. Dana White says you're not a Patriot. Uh, Reports are Dana White got $100 million from Bud Light. I don't blame Dana White for taking $100 million from Bud White. Uh, Bud Light. Uh, There are a lot of people out there uh, that take a lot of money to advocate for the products that pay them. That's how capitalism works. I don't begrudge it. But I'm not going to drink a Bud Light until Bud Light directly acknowledges that they failed in allowing Dylan Mulvaney to represent their brand and in telling everybody who already drank Bud Light that they were losers, they were too fratty, and they didn't like them anymore. If Bud Light comes out and says, hands up, we screwed up, we're going back to the drawing board and remaking this brand, and we want to make sure that we make it clear that uh, we don't think that men with penises are actually women, then I'll drink Bud Light. Until that happens, I'm not, you're not going to see me with a Bud Light. You know what? I went around all over college football and NFL marketplaces. I don't remember the last time I saw a dude at tailgate drinking a Bud Light. They just weren't there. And I don't think trying to get Peyton Manning or Dana White or Travis Kelsey to sell your product is going to help until the product itself actually comes out and says we were wrong. Because here's the truth. Bud Light doesn't taste that much better than any other beer that I would choose to drink it. Right? I'll give you an example. People boycotted Chick-fil-A because they said they're too conservative. And Chick-fil-A's sales continued to skyrocket. Boycott didn't work. Do you know why? Because Chick-fil-A has the best chicken sandwich of any fast food restaurant. And even gay people who were super left-leaning, they were like, you know what? I kind of wish Chick-fil-A supported gay marriage, but man, their chicken sandwiches are so good. I can't stop going there. I got to get these waffle fries. That peppermint shake, I can't say no to it. The nuggets... My goodness, the nuggets. I'm getting hungry just talking about Chick-fil-A. Their product was so good that the politics of the brand didn't actually hurt them. And guess what? It actually helped them because if you go into a Chick-fil-A, 
They actually have tons of kids who go to church youth groups, and it's why they have the best employees of any fast food chain on the planet. You know what I'm talking about? You go into a Chick-fil-A, they got 15-year-olds who are the most skilled uh, practitioners of the fast food arts. And I think it's because the Chick-fil-A's and those local communities are connected with churches. They're not open on Sunday. They go into church youth groups, they hire high-quality kids, and they bring them in, and the kids do great work. And by the way, they also have an incredible setup at all their drive throughs I wish Chick-fil-A was in charge of almost every government program because it would be better, and it would be better run. But the reason why their brand is fine, no matter how political they get, is because the chicken sandwich is really good. The reason why people were willing to boycott Bud Light in the first place is because it doesn't taste that much different than Miller Light or Coors Light. That's the dirty secret. It doesn't. It's not like we're talking about a beer or a liquor that you taste and you think, oh my goodness, that's so much better. If Bud Light was the Chick-fil-A of beers and if it tasted so much better than every other beer, then nobody would care about the politics. Beer drinkers would just say, you know what? I'm going to stick with Bud Light even though I don't agree with their politics because the product's so good. That ain't hit. The reason people drink Bud Light is because it's a light beer and it's just a big brand and they've been advertising so much for so long. So I think that's the biggest issue they have. And I think they should apologize for what they did. Finally, speaking of apologize, Pfizer stock has absolutely tanked. Uh, It has fallen off the face of the earth. It is down over 100. What is it? Let me make sure I get the math right. It is down over $100 billion in market cap valuation since uh, December of 2021. It's been cut over in half because nobody's getting their worthless COVID shots. So two for the price of one, this Travis Kelsey advertisement that they sent, spent tens of millions of dollars on is the least successful advertising campaign maybe in modern sports history. You can't turn on an NFL game without seeing Travis, Mr. Pfizer, Kelsey bragging about how he got two different shots, one for COVID and one for the flu or whatever the heck you're getting shots for. Every NFL fan has seen that commercial probably 10 times. Maybe 100 times. It airs all the time. If you're an NFL fan, you have seen that ad a bevy of times. And yet, no one, no one out there at all, by and large, is buying it. They spent tens of millions of dollars to sell you a crap product, and it's like the ESPN flip phone. Nobody's buying it. It's going to be a huge loss of money. Pfizer stock has tanked. It's down by a half. They've lost over $100 billion in market cap valuation, and the Travis Kelsey two-for-one biggest failure ever. Ultimately, life lesson for everybody out there. If the product is crap, it doesn't matter how much money you spend trying to sell it. Eventually, people will find out that the product is crap. Everybody knows the COVID shot is worthless. Nobody wants it with a functional brain. Everybody's rejecting it. And no matter how much Pfizer spent, 
Travis Kelsey is a disaster, maybe the least successful ad campaign given the dollars spent in modern NFL history. All right, I love all of you. Going to go do the uh, uh, gambling show now, The Fade with Kelly Stewart. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been OutKick, the show.